William Wordsworth was a relatively famous English poet back in the mid-19th century, and he, he promoted the idea that one of God's greatest gifts that he gave to human beings was the imagination, because imagination will take us places that reality may not be able to. And you say, well, what does that have to do with religion? Well, well let's just think about some things in the Bible. Do we know how Mary and Martha felt when Lazarus came out of that tomb? No, but I can imagine. Do I know what Mary, the mother of Jesus, felt when she looked upon that cross and there was her son hanging there? No, but I can imagine. As I mentioned in class this morning about heaven, how beautiful heaven, but can you describe heaven? No, but I can imagine. And so imagination truly is a wonderful thing. I think one of my favorite things is uh, Saul, before becoming the Apostle Paul, on the road to Damascus. Now remember, he was standing beside there as the people were uh, stoning Stephen. He was holding their garments. And as a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 9, it talks about him uh, promoting murder and captive the Christians. He was on the way to Damascus. And all of a sudden, a great light. And he said, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Can you imagine what Paul felt? I would just like to know, Paul, what were you thinking then? But anyway, I can't imagine. So why I bring this up, today's lesson, I'm going to ask you to participate with me in in an, an imaginary journey. We're going to imagine going somewhere. We can't go, but we're going to imagine it. All right, and we're going to define this in Luke 16, which was also mentioned this morning, Luke 16, verses 19 through 26. It's a passage we're familiar with. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the uh, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angel to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. With that imagination, now we know that there are two places that actually exist the place of torments in Hades, and what Jesus referred to as paradise. You recall on the cross, the thief on the cross, the one that acknowledged who he was and and, uh, asked that he be remembered when his kingdom comes, Jesus said, Surely I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. So we know paradise exists. And we know torment in Hades existed because Jesus speaks of it in this passage. So now then what I would like for us to do is take an imaginary journey through the torments of Hades, cross the gulf, visit paradise, 
see who we imagine is there. Now, we're not God. We're not judge. But we expect that certain people will be in these locations. And I'd like to know why are they there? What did they do? And, and I might even have a question to ask of them. So if you'll bear with me, put reality for your mind just a minute, and let's use our imagination, and let's take our journey. First of all, let's, uh, let's, let's go to the torments of Hades. And let's don't stay there long now. Let, let's make this our shorter visit, okay? But as we get there, uh, we, uh, first of all, we're going to see a very large crowd. And we're going to wonder, well, what's that crowd doing? I mean, this is a large crowd, folks, and we see them there. And we also go back to Genesis 6, 5, and 7, after God created the, the world, Genesis 6, verses 5 through 7. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth. And he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy the man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But we also know the rest of the story. There was just one small family that found, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And we prepared an ark. So this, this family, Noah and his three sons and their wives, were saved out of all universe. So now then, the assumption is, in their imaginary journey, this first large crowd I see are the inhabitants of the earth who had evil thoughts in their minds continually, and now then they are relegated to torments of Hades. So you think, how could, how could that be, what God created? How could this number of people have thoughts evilly, continually? How could that be? Anyway, we, we, we're going to take our next step. We look over here. Here are some residents of Sodom and Gomorrah. We know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 10, 8, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, uh, it's going to be destroyed. Not only that, we also know that one of the issues there was the uh, homosexuality, because, you know, even the angels, when Lot has them in his house, the men of the city come and they want them out so that they may know them. All right, so that was one of the, but evil people. And so we fully expect as we look around that there are the people from Sodom and Gomorrah. And you just want to ask them, if you had have known that this was coming, would not you have behaved differently? Would you have been as sinful as you were? Would you have warranted God's destruction? You remember when Abraham was talking to God, he said, what if I can find ten righteous people? And God said, if you can find ten righteous people, I won't destroy it. Not even ten righteous people residing in Sodom and Gomorrah. They're destroyed, so we fully expect that we're going to see them there. Why? Because they were evil. They they. They, uh, they, they refuse to recognize the morality that God wants of people. So we're going to keep on walking. And I look over here, and here are two people. You're probably familiar with these two people, Nadab and Abihu. These were, recall, these, these were the sons of Aaron, and, and they were priests in God's service. Uh, however, in Leviticus 10.1, here's what we find. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took the censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. 
And we know what happened. The fire erupts, burns them there on the spot. They're dead. They're burned. Why? They refused to do what God told them to do. You know, one, th- one thing about our God, he has always been very specific about what he wanted. And he has also been very specific about results if we do not uh, comply with his desires. In this case, Nadab and Bahu, they were engaged in religion. They were performing a religious act. They were offering fire and incense before God. But it was the wrong one. It's not what God told them. So the lesson there for us, as we're walking through this, through the torments of Hades, there are people here that may be religious, but not in accordance with what God says. We're going to keep walking. And we're going to see other people there. How about Jeroboam? Jeroboam was a son of Solomon. Jeroboam inherited a kingdom, a magnificent kingdom. It's his. But we know that that due to that that due to his his uh, inept governance, listening to the wrong advice, that he loses the ten northern kingdoms. They're his. The two southern kingdoms uh, are lost. But now then, as he's up here, Jerusalem is unfortunately in the southern kingdom. Where does God command the people to go worship? Jerusalem. But now wait a minute. If they go there, then they may develop an allegiance to Jerusalem and they may lose their allegiance to me. So what I will do, I will set up places for them to worship here. I will make golden cash for them to worship here. They won't have to go to Jerusalem. Uh, now then, and Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord of Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, the king of Judah. Therefore the king asked advice, made two calves of gold, and said to the people, It is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you from the land of Egypt. And he set one up in Bethel, and he, set, he put one in Dan. Now this thing became a sin. For the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. So not only does Jeroboam sin, but he leads his people into sin. So where in my imagination will I find these people today? Unfortunately, in the torments of Hades, along with Jeremiah, because it's defined as sin. They sinned in the sight of God. Now keep in mind, they are also practicing, quote, a religion, but not God's religion. So where they can find now? The torments of Hades. Let's just look around just a little bit. There are so many more in the old. To think of the, think of the evil kings in Israel. Think of, think of the false prophets. Uh, think of all those that are there, you know, that should not be there because they had the opportunity to listen to God and refused. But now then, let's, 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 let's go to Jesus' time. You know, this, this is not confined to the Old Testament. How about, uh, how about the Pharisees and the Sadducees that rejected Jesus in spite of all that he did in front of them, in spite of all the miracles he performed, the healings, the returning sight to the blind, the allowing the crippled to walk, casting out the spirits. Think of all that they saw him do and yet would reject him. So is there any reason, is there any reason that we should doubt that we're going to find these people confined to the torments of Hades? And the same time, you'd like to ask them the same question. If you had it all to do over again, what would you do? 
would you be here? Uh, one, I, you could almost feel sorry for this gentleman, and that be Judas, Judas the Apostle. How, Judas, how could you have betrayed the man that you had worked with all these years? You saw what he did. You heard his teaching. You know he loved mankind. You know all that. How could you have betrayed him? How could you have turned him over uh, for the crucifixion? How could you have done that? And apparently Judas would have no answer because you recall he committed suicide rather than turning around he committed suicide. And so he left this world certainly in an inappropriate condition. Now here he is in, in, uh, in, in our imagination in the torments of Hades. Judas, how could you have? There's another one. You know, as we go on just a little bit further, as we walk just a little bit further, we're going to see this couple named Ananias and Sapphira. Good people. Sold a piece of property and given the money to the Lord's work. The problem is they didn't give it all. And that's not even a problem. What did the apostle say? It was yours. It was yours. Uh, they, uh, but Peter said, And nice why Satan uh, filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? They never had to say, Here it, here's all of it. But they lied to the Holy Spirit, and we know that death ensued immediately. So as I walk around, as, a, as, as we walk around down in this torment of Hades, we expect we're going to see them there. Why? They lied to God. You can't lie to God. They lied to God. Now the question is, is it possible that people today can lie, lie to God? Certainly it is. The people lied to God. We expect to see them there. Here's another one, Demas. Demas. Demas worked with the Apostle Paul. Now, can you imagine, even in my imagination, I can't even imagine working with the Apostle Paul, seeing all that he did, seeing all the trials, seeing his faith, hearing his messages. I can't even imagine how great that would be. And yet Paul says this about Demas, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. All he did, the allure of the world, now then think about today. Is it possible that the lure of the world can lure Christians away and result in their being confined to the torments of Hades? Certainly. That ought to bring some fear to our hearts that we've got to be careful that what we do is what God wants. Now then, if you recall back in the, in the scripture in, in Luke, it says that there is a gulf which you can't pass over. Either one way or the other. But yet in our imagination, that's what we're going to do. We want to visit the other side just a little bit. And what we want to see, we want to go over there and say, okay, who is over here and how did you get it? How about the thief on the cross? We know he's there. How, how do we know he's there? Because Jesus said he'd be there that day with him. You'll be with me in paradise. So we know that the thief on the cross is there. We also know Abraham is there because in, in, in Luke's account, we can see Abraham there. We know Lazarus is there. Why? Because Jesus said Lazarus, Abraham, uh, the thief on the cross. We know they're there. And what I want us to do, if you just think about, there's, a, there's an entire list. It would, it would take multiple, multiple, multiple hours and lessons to talk about the people that we know are there. But the Hebrews 11 gives us a pretty good list. And tells us why they're there. You know, in our imagination, we can visualize these people being 
in paradise, in bed paradise, in Abraham's bosom, comforted, relaxed. All right, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. We're, we're aware of that. Abel, you did what God said. You pleased God. Enoch does not see death because he pleased God. Noah moved with godly fear, prepared an ark. Uh, Abraham obeyed when called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance. Although Abraham never received it, it was promised to him through his seed. Abraham pleased God. Uh, Sarah received strength to conceive uh, and bear a child when past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Sarah, if God promised that, I know that, I, that he is faithful to keep his word. So Sarah conceived and bore the son. Isaac blessed Jacob. Jacob blessed his sons of Joseph. Joseph mentions the departure from Egypt and instructs concerning his bones. I think about that too. Think about Joseph's arrival into Egypt, being sold into slavery, his death in Egypt as one of the most powerful men in Egypt, but yet he wants his bones transported back out. He knows that they're going to leave. He knows one day the children of Israel will depart Egypt. I want my bones to go too. So that's Joseph. How about uh, Moses? Talk about Moses. Think about all that Moses did, the lawgiver, the lawgiver. Is there any doubt? As a matter of fact, Moses uh, appearing on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Moses is certainly there. We can see Moses in our imagination. He's there. We also talk about Paul. Paul, Paul says he knows his future. You know, the life Paul lived after his conversion, after being told what he must do to be saved, Paul says, Finally, after all they had gone through, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, not only to me only, but also all to have loved his appearing. So Paul knew what was coming. Paul knew that he was in prison. Paul, Paul knew he was about to die. But he says, I know there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me, so I have no reason to doubt Paul. So certainly I'm going to see Paul. Paul's going to be there on our, on our uh, imaginary trip. Peter knows that his death is near, yet he shows no sign of fear, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. So we know Peter's there. Don't forget Jesus. Don't, don't, don't forget Jesus. What, what he said to the thief on the cross today, you're going to be with me in paradise. There's a place out there one day where we can see Jesus. That's just a short trip through the two to the two places that we see in Luke. Torment of Hades and Abraham's bosom as Jesus defined as paradise. Those exist. We know those exist. Now then, we have taken an imaginary trip through them, but now then, I want us to take one more imaginary trip. This is 2021. I want us to go ahead 100 years, and that'll just make sure that we encompass everybody here. 100 years from now, 2022, we're going to meet. And we're going to take this same journey that we've just taken in our imagination, except this time, you're going to be looking for me. I'm going to be looking for you. Where will we find each other? It'll be one of the two. I know that. It'll either be in torments of Hades or we'll be in paradise. That's where... I will find you. And one of those two, that's where you'll find me, one of those two. Now then, here is the beauty about that. 
It's up to us. I can determine today, you can determine today, which of these two locations you're going to spend an eternity in. Is it going to be with Jesus? Is it going to be in Abraham's bosom? Is it going to be in paradise? Is it going to be in heaven? Where's it going to be? That's up to us. God has provided the way. Now then, are we going to accept it? There's also this torments of Hades. I don't want to go there. I don't want to spend an eternity with Jezebel. I'll just be honest with you. That was a mean woman. I don't want to spend an eternity with her. I don't want to spend an eternity with the wicked kings. I don't want to spend an eternity with the Goliath giant. I don't want to spend an eternity with the devil. That's not my choice. So my choice is, and my decision is, let me go the other way. Let me follow God. Let me do what he tells me to do because I know he has never failed to keep a promise. Never. Now, in reality, we're, we're leaving the world of our imagination now, and we're coming back to what's real. What's real is this. God has promised that there's an eternal life of peace and joy and happiness there. Can I describe it? No. I can't even imagine how great that will be. It, it beyond, it, 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 it's, it's superior to my, to my way of thought how great that will be. But God's promised it. God's promised that it will come to us that we can have it if I will do what he says. He also says there, there, there's this other place. You don't want it. There are, there are people there that we have just seen, that we expect that they're there. We know why they're there. And there's so many in both places. We didn't, we didn't even scratch the surface of what we can expect to see in each of these locations. But yet we know my choice is to be with Abraham's bosom in paradise and eventually in heaven forever. That's, that's where I want to be. So can I be there? Absolutely. I can. Can you be there? Absolutely. Now then the question today is, is there any doubt in our mind about where we'll be? If so, excellent time to remove it. You know, all of us can leave this building today knowing for sure where I will be. Providing I continue to lead, to lead the life God wants me to lead. That's up to us. Nothing's going to hinder us. There may be times that we may be the Lazarus. We may experience a Lazarus one day. We may be destitute. We may be, we may be uh, as, as uh, Hebrews 11 says, some of them were wandering around in sheep's clothing. Some of them sawn in half. But where are they now? They're in paradise for an eternity. Not just for a short period of time, but for an eternity. And that's up to us. God has laid out a very simple plan. He says, here's all I want you to do. I want you to hear. I want you to believe that. I want you to believe what I tell you in the Bible. I want you to believe the word that I've left you. I want you to believe that. I want you to confess your sins, you know, because, because you, I mean, and confess my name. I want you to repent from your sins. I want you to be baptized to wash away. That, that's your burial in Christ. That, that, and when you're raised from there, you, you're new. You're a newness of life. And you live that to the day you die. You live your Christian life. And there you, you, you uh, will see not only will Lazarus be in Abraham's bosom, but so will you. So will I. And that's a destination we want. If that's not your destination, correct it today. If we don't feel confident, if we don't know that's where we're going, just correct that today. And that way, we'll all join with one another in Abraham's bosom, in paradise. Think about that as we stand and sing.